Welcome to the Occult London podcast. This is a new podcast dedicated to exploring magic, mysticism, the Kabbalah, as well as other topics. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please take a moment to leave us a review and a rating on iTunes or wherever you tune in. It really helps more folks find us and helps us to continue to get this message out there. Also, don't forget out don't forget to check out occultlondon.co.uk to subscribe. And if you're feeling extra supportive, consider backing us on Patreon or you can find us on Buy Me A Coffee. Every little bit goes a long way in keeping this show alive. A heartfelt thanks for all your kindness and support and for those of you who already are supporting the podcast. Now let's dive into today's episode. I was in London the other day having a bit of a day trip and we went to the Tate Britain Art Gallery which is by the Thames. I'm not sure if anyone has been there, but it's a wonderful old classical style building down by the river in a pretty quiet, not very touristy area of London. And it has the real feel of an ancient Greek or a Roman temple. I walked around the exhibition and came across a painting by John William Waterhouse, who was a pre-Raphaelite painter. And the painting was called The Magic Circle. The picture is a large oil painting which depicts a witch or a sorceress using a wand to draw a magical circle on the earth to create a ritual space for her magic. And the picture is very dramatic and quite inspiring and it got me thinking about the subject of magical circles and what they mean and represent to us as magicians and practitioners. So I was inspired to write an episode discussing magical circles and some of the philosophy and symbolism that lie behind them. Magical circles are probably one of the most common things that people think of when they think of the magician or the witch and it's a classic Hollywood image of the black cloaked magician wreathed in incense smoke surrounded by a circle with strange symbols and chanting barbarous names. The magic circle is extremely important in the magical tradition as it provides a sacred and purified space where rituals and ceremonies are conducted, but it also provides a reservoir of energy and power that acts essentially as a doorway through which the unmanifest, the gods, the deities and the divinities can enter. Through entering and building the sacred circle we are able to transcend the physical in theory and also access and transform different levels of consciousness. The magic circle itself has various different uses and meanings, but the most common ones are that it is used to either contain energy, form a sacred space or provide protection. They're often drawn using physical chalk, salt or flour on the floor but can also just be visualised. As well as protection, however, there are different uses and beliefs around them, however. So, for example, it can represent a concentrator of power, a magical filter, a space between the worlds, and also an Akashic egg and many other uses. As well as many different styles and uses, there are lots of different examples of magical circles in history. For example, We have evidence that they were used in Babylonian magic. Um, Ancient Sumerian had the tradition of Zizuru, 
which meant magic circle drawn with flower. And this was thought to delineate, purify and protect from evil by enclosing of a ritual space. They've also been widely used in the Middle Ages and Renaissance times, as well as by Native American tribes, such as the Lakota. In the Lakota tribes, I'm told that circles were often used in sacred ceremonies for healing, as well as being symbols of the continuous pattern of life and death. For the medieval and grimoiric magicians, the magical circle really comes into its own and becomes an essential part of the magical act and the magician's toolkits. It's in the grimoires where we see very complex designs of circles with multiple layers of meaning and complex symbols in various different texts such as the Clavicular Solomonis, Liber Geratus, Heptameron, to name but a few. And they were mainly designed to provide protection during magical workings. The Heptameron describes the power of the circle as follows. The greatest power is attributed to the circles, for they are certain fortresses to defend the operators, safe from the evil spirits. The Heptameron also writes at length about the function and how to design magical circles. For example, in a section titled, Of the Circle and the Composition Thereof. And I quote, The form of circles is not always one and the same but useth to be changed according to the order of the spirits that are to be called, their places, times, days and hours. For in making a circle, it ought to be considered in what time of the year, what day and what hour that you make the circle. What spirits you would call, to what star and region do they belong and what functions they have. Therefore let there be made three circles of the latitude of nine foot, and let them be distant from one another a hand's breadth. And in the middle circle first write the name of the hour wherein you do the work. In the second place write the name of the angel of the hour. In the third place the sigil of the angel of the hour. Fourthly the name of the angel that ruleth that day wherein you do the work and the names of his ministers. In the fifth place, the name of the present time. Sixthly, the name of the spirits ruling in that time and their presidents. The name of the head of the sign ruling in that part of the time wherein you do that work. Eighthly, the name of the earth according to that part of the time wherein you work. Ninthly, and for completing of the middle circle, write the name of the sun and of the moon according to the said rule of time. For as the time is changed, so the names are to be altered. And in the outermost circle let there be drawn in the four angles the names of the presidential angels of the air, that day wherein you would do this work, to wit, the name of the king and his three ministers. Without the circle in four angles, let pentagons be made. In the inner circle let there be written four divine names, with crosses interposed, in the middle of the circle. To wit, towards the east let there be written Alpha, and towards the west let there be written Omega, and let a cross divide the middle of the circle. When the circle is thus finished according to the rule, now before written you shall proceed.
The significance of circles in ritualistic practices is profound and multidimensional. Far from being an outdated emblem rooted in superstitious fears of spirits, circles represent a purposefully designated space for diverse ritualistic engagements. And while they might not be universally indispensable for all forms of ritualistic work, dismissing their value would be, you know, a kind of an oversight. In truth, the act of creating a sacred space, of carving out a particular realm for specific intentions, is deeply embedded in human spiritual practices. Such deliberate acts, dedicating space and energy, can be as transformative and, in some ways, you could describe it as psychoactive as any material substance. The circle really connects the practitioner with really deep layers of consciousness and obviously has the effect of elevating the consciousness as well. Um, The great magician Jake Stratton Kent um, has a specific perspective on this and sheds light on this when he writes the following. In short, a circle is not an obsolete symbol of a superstitious fear of spirits but an intentionally created ritual space for various purposes. It is not always required for all kinds of ritual work, but neither is it of no value. Quite the contrary. Making sacred space is among the most primal of rituals. Such intentional actions are as worthy of the term psychoactive as any substance. I think the idea is that The magical circle is this intentionally created ritual space and this kind of phrase also finds resonance with William Kiesel who um, wrote a really good book and extensively explored this subject uh, in a book called Magical Circles in the Grimoireic Tradition. And Kiesel goes a step further by illustrating the universality of such practices tracing their manifestation in lots of different cultural traditions and he says as a diagram for supernatural praxis the magic circle is similar to the veves in the voodoo tradition mandalas in buddhist practice or yantras in the hindu practice each express specific entities with which the work was intended as well as setting the boundaries of the sacralized place of working In each of these cases, a space in the material world was set aside so that congress with the spirit world could be attained. Kiesel's observations underscore the idea that the act of designating sacred space transcends cultural boundaries. And he also hints at a a kind of universal longing, a human longing to connect with that spiritual realm. And this shared spiritual vocabulary spanning different traditions really kind of reaffirms that kind of profound importance and also the universality of these practices. So what is the meaning and philosophy behind the magical circle? Well, obviously, we can't fully understand all of the reasons why our ancestors would have used them or indeed different uh, cultures and traditions. However, there is some really important symbolism in relation to magical circles that we can discuss for the purpose of this episode.
In the case of the Western mystery tradition, the circle can really be considered to be the same as a temple. It represents a sacred space that is separate and set aside for ritual use and is used to protect the magician as well as, and this is really important, to focus the mind during ritual. Magical circles come in different types, sizes, shapes, ranging from you know, really elaborate permanent circles painted on the floor of a permanent temple to portable circles that can be drawn onto cloth or um, even a tarpaulin. And you also get really basic ones, which is just a simple consecrated piece of rope. The portable ones are very convenient if one does not have a physical temple set up, as it will also enable the user to easily draw a circle on the, on the floor cloth, which can then be rolled away when it's not in use. But we should always recall the words of Gareth Knight when considering these things. It is the circle within and not the circle without that matters. When as magicians we stand in the centre of the circle, we are creating a new symbol as well. If we think about it, and that symbol is the point. We are in the centre within the circle this can be seen to represent the entirety of the universe for it encompasses the theory of the temple being a reflection of the macrocosm. The circle becomes the temple and the point, which is the magician, becomes the central light at the circle, the sacred centre. When creating sacred space, one of the first things our ancient ancestors would have done was to determine the central axis of the country or place and this emphasizing the point that all things have a point of origin a place where all things were made manifest and that allows us to orientate ourselves in relation to it and this is really meant to kindle in the mind of the practitioner the concept that the material world has a sacred center or a foundation point that connects the upper and the lower realms this is described by Anna Franklin as follows. As the individual spirit is centralized in the body and the body has a physical location, so the world's spirit was thought of as a centralized at a fixed point. The idea of the fixed point at the center of the sacred space is not something that's unique to magic. In fact, it's part of really the kind of backbone and a history of society and the majority of sacred sites as well as non-sacred sites um, do feature this as well for example in English villages used to be built around a, a central green towns would have a market cross and then we'd also have sacred centers in countries for example in Ireland we have Tara which was believed to be in the region of the Midi or the middle and was the royal heart that also had the Leofail stone of destiny used for the coronation of the kings of Ireland. In England you could argue that Stonehenge is kind of one of the sacred centres of, of the UK and also in London obviously there's the mythical London stone which is at the centre of the city which also has very kind of deep spiritual significance and symbolism connected to it. So we have this idea of the sacred point within the circle but it becomes not just a representation of the whole world but also the point of origin 
from where everything emerges and to where everything returns. The magician stands at the centre, mediating the connection between the worlds. But also this idea of the sacred light would have traditionally been represented by a hearth fire or a light at the centre of the microcosm. This idea of the light at the centre is also discussed in the Zohar, and I quote, My Sabbaths are a circle with a square inscribed within. My sanctuary you are to hold in awe is the point standing in the centre, which one should fear more than anything, for its punishment is death. As it is written, those who profane it shall surely be put to death. Who are those who profane it? Whoever enter the hollow of the circle and the square, the site where that point rests, and damages it surely be put to death. So it is written, you are to hold in awe, that point is called I, and on it rests that high concealed one, the unrepealed. This is yod heh vau and all is one. And that's a quote from the Zohar. One theory that is out there is that this light, or this lamp, at the centre of the circle may go back to Neolithical times when you know, circular houses would have had a hole cut in the roof as a representation of the cosmos, and the walls of the hut would become the circumference of the universe, the hearthstone, the earth, the four sides, the four directions and the four seasons. The divine gods and goddesses would have been represented by possibly the indwelling presence of the eternal flame rising up in smoke to the world above. The hearth fire which sits at the centre of the home thus becomes the centre of the universe. And the idea of the fire at the centre representing the point of manifestation is also something that Aristotle describes as the fire in the middle. And he writes, They placed fire and not earth at the centre of the universe. The earth became a celestial body which creates day and night by its circular motion around Hestia. Ten divine celestial bodies rotate rhythmically around Hestia in the following order. The dark counter-earth, the earth, the moon, the sun, the five planets, Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, Venus, Mercury, and the sphere of the fixed stars. Since the monad is the divine source of all numbers, and is identified with or represented by the purity of the fire. The source of the celestial body should be a divine fire in the centre of the cosmos. So from the perspective of the magician it can be seen that when we are in the magic circle with our altar and our sacred lamp we should really be picturing ourselves as being in the centre of the universe unifying the microcosm and the macrocosm as one. The magical circle and the temple, if we have one, serves the unique purpose of bringing in his orientation because when he stand at the centre of the circle, our position is fixed in relation to agreed coordinates. As Gareth Knight describes this, Thus, in a two-dimensional sense, one is standing in the centre of an infinite horizon at the exact meeting point of the cardinal directions of east, west, south and north. In a three-dimensional sense, one sees oneself as the centre, either of a sphere or of a cube. 
In the latter case, the midpoint between all six faces, all eight corners, all twelve sides. So the effect of finding our inner orientation in relation to the manifest universe around us, but it also symbolically as being a way of finding orientation within our inner universe, and it has the effect of balancing the magician before the work begins. And this is also very important and one of the reasons why practices such as the Kabbalistic cross are performed, or in the Christian tradition, the sign of the cross before a mass. As Gareth Knight writes, the circle represents the whole of man, that is, of oneself and the whole of the universe. One thus learns first to orientate oneself centrally in relation to one's greater known self, the height and the depths, the good and the bad, the vast and the potential, and also with the greater whole. Thus the circle becomes really a, a symbol of ourselves and our experience of the external world, but also in some ways mirror becomes a mirror of how our inner world is experienced as well. Through the magical circle, we are orientating ourselves to the highest and purest ideals of geometry in terms of the above, the below, the east, the south, the north and the west. And that's also symbolically configuring our circuitry with all aspects of our being and the greater whole, separated from the universe, but also being represented of the entire universe. And I think the idea of sacred geometry is also massively important if we think about it um, as there's the sacred geometric principles expressed in all places of worship. So from Hindu and Buddhist temples to the soaring spires of medieval, medieval cathedrals in Europe such as Chartres or Notre Dame. All of these buildings have an intentional sense of divine proportion within their design but they also express the relationship between the microcosm and the macrocosm and provide a place of sanctuary where the congregation can commune with their god or their gods. An orientation is really important in this context as well as if you think about it. A lot of churches have altars in the east and magical circles are similar in this sense. However, they also have the benefit of being portable and so a sacred and magical space between the worlds can literally be anywhere and you don't even need to have a physical one because obviously you know you can visualize your magical circle and have your inner temple which you go into on the astral plane um, which will operate just as effectively particularly if you're good at visualizing and the idea of the circle representing detachment and separation from the world is also important particularly in relation to a slightly obscure symbol which is known as the ring pass knot or the zero symbol. When we step into the magical circle we are effectively becoming one with the zero and unmanifest essence of the universe that existed before the worlds had come into being. And this is the boundless and the immu in immutability of infinite space in which there are no stars, suns, planets, animals or man exists, we become one with the circle, one with the zero, one 
with the primordial reality which gave existence to all living things and beings. Only through throwing ourselves into the boundless, where there is a detachment of consciousness from our daily lives and our normal waking world, can we then begin to hope to affect changes in our consciousness but also the world around us so therefore the circle represents everything but also in another sense nothing and this is something William Kiesel talks about in his book as well magical circles and I quote it is a symbol of the totality of existence of the divine of the infinite the Ouroboros like circles of the seasons the wandering stars and the divine order of the celestial realm. The circle also implies the centre and thus the idea of radiating outward or expansion. And as you can see what he's saying is only through becoming nothing can we affect anything. So we go into the boundless in order to transform ourselves and the world around us. And the great magician William Gray also uh, talks about this and I wanted to quote from him as well we live from one level higher than our activities all the time because we work on something from somewhere else to fully control happenings on any particular level of existence we must operate it on it from another if we want to become anything we must also not become everything else. Before any vessel may be filled with any specific content, it must be empty. Before a single number is countable, zero must be assumed. No creation is possible without the void. Writing can only be recorded on blank paper or sound on a clean tape. So the action of stepping into the magical circle or creating a magical circle or stepping into a consecrated temple should really be considered as assuming zero or becoming the nil concept. We must step into this state as it is from there that we can begin to focus and alter our consciousness how we desire. And William Gray describes this zero state as follows. Zero is a state to be achieved by becoming it and unbecoming all else. Its apparent negation is positive, definite, absolute. Once we attain it and everything would be possible. It is the complete opposite to ineffectuality or impotence, being concentration of energy to an ultimate extent and an entire breakthrough beyond every barrier of being anything. It is utter and absolute freedom in the true sense of its meaning, a transcendence of every possible limitation. Nil and all are identical. And I think what Gray is essentially saying is that through the power of the circle and the nil state, we are in a way returning back to the nil, the nothing from which we can act as the creator of our own universe. We become the creator of whatever we wish to manifest from that nil point. The nil point and the circle 
also has the power of focusing the mind and achieving a level of really sort of directed mental concentration and visualization that might not otherwise be possible. And this idea of connecting with the primary source of all things is also discussed by Agrippa in his three books of philosophy when he says the following. A circle doth answer to unity and the number ten, for unity is the centre and circumference of all things. And the number ten being heaped together returns into the unity from whence it had its beginning, being the end and complements of all numbers. A circle is called an infinite line in which there is no terminus, a quo nor terminus ad quaeum, whose beginning and end is in every point, whence all Whence also a circular motion is called infinite, not according to time, but according to place. Hence a circular being the largest and perfected of all is judged to be the most fit for bindings and conjurations. Whence they who adjure evil spirits are wont to environ themselves about with the circle. Um, and the idea of the circle is also featured in the Heptameron when we see in the circle the symbol of the alpha and the omega again being representative of this beginning and the ending of all things surrounded by the names of the holy angels and William Kiesel again um, describes this nicely in his book uh, Magic Circles in the Grimoire tradition which I recommend as follows thus formed a magic circle with its divine names and figures of virtues angels and spirits of the creator allows the magician who stands in its centre to be both microcosm and macrocosm. The centre of the circle is clearly the source point of divinity. The Greek letters Alpha and Omega literally embody the principle of first and last and were considered to refer to an eternity without beginning or end. So now we are at the centre of the circle. The next step is to obviously divide the circle into segments and to really kind of begin the process of breaking up what is infinite into defined categories or forces so that they are easier to work with in a magical sense and there's a great many ways this can be done depending on what tradition the magician works with so for example you can have the 12 signs of the zodiac um, and these are sometimes adapted to be the 12 variations of the divine name known as the 12 banners um, you also have planetary signs, so rituals like the hexagram ritual from the Golden Dawn tradition um, follow that pattern. So you have like six representations of the planets with um, Sol or Helios at the centre. There's also um, variations of this idea with you know regards to the 12 aspects of the sun um, and the circle. We see examples of this in the PGM 1496 to 1715 which is the the consecration for purposes or the spell to helios we also see other ways you, people divide the circle so you have triangles pentagrams crosses and squares and each quarter then has different presences and hierarchies applied to it depending on what magical system you're using the most common format however is that's used in the Western mystery tradition is the one that uses the four divisions aligning each quarter with the four traditional elements of air, fire, water and earth, or east, south, west and north. Thus we have 
divided the circle into orientations relating to our terrestrial world, while the outer circle relates to the celestial sphere, and obviously the nothing, the boundless. The names of whatever gods, angels or demons the magician happens to be working with circle the earth, and the magician stands as a god in the centre, in control, and able to work with these different forces uh, to elevate his consciousness or, or to carry out his or her intention. It's important to note, however, that whilst these are traditionally seen as being 2D, uh, so if you see the pictures of magical circles and divided up, they're normally a 2D picture, they're actually 3D. So as magicians, we should also always think along the lines of standing within an orb or a square rather than it being a flat surface. So the, the energy is going up and it's going down um, and it's going all around us, but we're not, it's not a 2D at all. We are at the center of this powerful energy field. That's all we've got time for in this episode. However, in future episodes, I'll be going into the the four quarters in more detail from a magical perspective. Uh, you know why we call the quarters, and also some of the kind of inner aspects of the different um, elements, directions. Why do we use the different uh, directions as well? Um, before we finish, however, I wanted to finish with a, a few lines from Christopher Marlowe's Faust that talk about the circle. Now that the gloomy shadow of the night, longing to view Orion's drizzling look, leaps from the Antarctic world into the sky, and dims the welkin with her pitchy breath, Faustus, begin thine incantations, and try if devils will obey thy hest. Seeing thou hast prayed and sacrificed to them, within this circle is Jehovah's name. Forward and backward, anagrammatized, the abbreviated names of holy saints, figures of every adjunct to the heavens, and characters of signs and evening stars, by which the spirits are enforced to rise. Then fear not, Faustus, to be resolute, and try the utmost magic.